Welcome to One Moment Wiser. This is Christy Bridges, and I'm going to help you understand yourself better, improve your relationships, and connect with your creator. My guests share personal stories and wisdom, and in 2023, we're focusing on mental health from a Christian perspective. Let's get started. And let's let's pause for just a second and address the, you know, the hidden elephant, right? Um, the, the, the hidden elephant here. Um, you had narcissists for parents. I mean, there's I just really not any other way around that. And that, you know, you can you can say things objectively without being mean to people, right? That they they didn't behave in ways that were helpful. They they created a lot of pain with the way that they acted and you had to go through some healing. And, um, you know, I mean, I think every, every parent child relationship involves something that requires us to forgive. Parents are just kids when they have us, right. Um, they don't know how to do this until they do it. But, um, but then you had to, as an adult, go back and, um, well, I guess you chose to, you didn't have to, but you chose to go back into the relationship and take care of them. Tell us, tell us what you learned here, what that was like for you, how you, how you managed it. Um, I appreciate you have both of those were choices. Now there was a situation and I try to be careful now, especially mm -hmm. after having been not to over-spiritualize. Right. Um, because when I was seeking advice from some spiritual guiders, they were telling me, well, the Bible says, honor your mother and father and all will go with good for you. So you have to go do this. And I didn't like that answer. And it's not that I, I felt crushed by that answer. You can honor um, people from a safe place. <laughs> right. And learning what that meant. And so Christy, it was interesting when I saw the, you know, the clip, it was, I think it was the first time that I'd seen my mother's name and the word narcissist in print. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm definitely hurting feelings by admitting that my mother was a narcissist. I'm um, so or sure. at least very, no, it's, um, she showed very strong narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. Now it's a different dynamic between my two parents because my mother raised me. Mm -hmm. um, I'd had enough recovery in my life to have empathy. My mother was very greatly abused. She had lived through significant trauma. Mm. Um, and in doing research, there's different types. And I refused to admit for years that she had those tendencies, but we, I told you a story that I'll share briefly in a second. Um, she was more of a covert narcissist. Mm -hmm. And uh, but when I think of narcissist, I think of the Big Bang Theory. Do you watch that show at all? Yeah, well, I used to. I'm watching a while, but that was a great. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what's his name's. It's not Sheldon. It's not Howard. The other guy that marries the waitress. Um, his Leonard. mother. Leonard. Oh, Leonard's mother. Um, his mother was this famous PhD author and textbook narcissist. I always envisioned them to be um, like overachievers and all of that. Um. What I've since learned, though, and I especially like this, and who I got help from, um, have you heard of Brene Brown? I love Brene Brown. Yes. And I want to read this. And I did not, I found this awesome clip, but I didn't get permission ahead of time to share it on your podcast. So well, just, we can I'm put just, a link to it, though. 
Okay. Yeah. And, um, but she talks about uh, this. She's found empathy in narcissism and she's found it with a self-awareness honesty, mm-hmm. but she calls it grandiosity driven by high performance and self-hatred. Um, but narcissism is, as far as all personality disorders go, they're really driven by that and they're very shame-based and there's a shame-based fear of being ordinary. Um, and another thing that Brene says that really jumped out at me is where it says the need to be seen, known, and loved. We're just created for that. Right. Coupled with the need to see, know, and love others. And, and I think that's very important. There's a saying in my rooms that says, you spot it, you got it. And in order, and I'm pretty sure I bought my therapist a house. <laughs> I think we talked about that. Um, I had to begin to own what I'm calling narcissistic traits, not only in my mother and in my father, but in myself. Because let's face it, I started in corporate and I was the first woman to ever run a switch room. I won awards for that um, in telecom. I went to work in a church and again, women paid staff in church. It's predominantly a male driven study or situation. And then doing stand up comedy again. And I honestly believe in order for me to survive those situations, to have succeeded in those situations, I had to have some level of narcissism in myself. There had so to be some level. Yeah, and here's where we, we probably should talk a little bit, just for those who aren't familiar with this. Narcissism is a real popular, uh, everybody's yes. a narcissist nowadays, right? You know, all, right. all our exes are narcissists, according to <laughs> social media. Um, <laughs> anybody we don't like. Um, so let's talk right. about that for a second, because narcissism, just like any other um, mental health issue, is simply natural traits that have gotten out of whack. Natural right. traits that have been taken, you know, have been un, un uh, reined, right? Um, we've let them off the reins and they've, they've gone wild. And so um, the traits that SICOM dot net uh lists are having an inflated sense of self-importance and entitlement needing constant admiration expecting special treatment exaggerating achievements and talents um reacting negatively to criticism and um taking advantage of others and uh, gaslighting a lot of times as part of that um having an unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others are behaving in an arrogant manner. Well, those are things we see, but like what you were saying, they come from um, places that can drive us to success or places that can drive other people crazy. Um, You know, (laughs) right? We all don't feel good when we get criticism right anybody go oh i love criticism i like feedback criticism though i'm not real fond of um but reacting negatively to criticism when we when we overreact and take everything as an attack that stops us from growing um or when we flip uh any kind of boundary or criticism when we flip it to being there's something wrong with you or you wouldn't be saying that to me or acting asking me to, you know be this way um and so that's gaslighting right but that's 
a similar thing. And it, it stems from a normal reaction. Uh, you know, we feel criti criticized and so we feel defensive that we don't let God say, hey, um, this is how I want you to handle this. And instead we we overreact and can really hurt people. And the same thing with, you know, grabbing the bully by the ponytail because you have a need to be noticed, right? And, um, or, or being the prom queen forever and ever because you have the need to be noticed and respected, you know? So those, those things, we all actually kind of want um, to be recognized for what we are and who we are. And sometimes we let that override um, the need to, to recognize others and elevate others, or we let ourselves get too competitive instead of realizing that um, we can elevate others without losing anything ourselves. So that I'm not, uh, I just wanted to talk about that for a moment for those who are listening and, and really haven't gotten an education of what narcissism really is. So in your life, it um, tell us a little bit more about how that played out. Or, or how you got this, well, anyway, where you were going with that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I meant to bring that in. Right now, everyone's a narcissist, that's true. And at least on social media. Um, <laughs> that's what everybody uh, says, anyway. Well, and I'm going to, you know, just to differentiate here, there are dangerous, dangerous people out there um, true. who are abusive who I, I've got girlfriends who own guns that shouldn't need to own guns anymore to protect themselves from their exes. So I'm not dis diminishing narcissism as a whole. Right. Um, it can be very dangerous and it can be an incredible mental illness. Uh, but where I was going with this, I mean, so I shared with you, this is just an example. Mm -hmm. And there's some hard truths about this. I mean, my mom was diagnosed bipolar when I was nine. I refused to take medication. And so most of my life, I just thought I was dealing with a bipolar parent. But there, and it wasn't until after she passed away and I went into therapy that, and did that bit that killed at the loony bin, absolutely killed and got me promoted, which I'm no longer doing um, because it made people cry uh, in reality. Yeah. I lost that thought all of a sudden. Um, but there were some stories like, when I was growing up, I couldn't compete with my mother. And even though she, and I, I was, I was just a child. I wasn't trying to compete. If I bonded with somebody she was dating and I'm talking, I'm 12 years old, 13 years old. Um, she would accuse me of trying to sleep with them. Okay. That is, is that the alcoholic in her? Is that the abuse victim in her is, was it the narcissist? Um, if I spent time with my dad, who I hardly ever saw, she was immediately threatening to pack my bags and send me to go live with him, but he's not going to want you anyway. So now what are you going to do? I mean, there were things that happened. Um, and I shared to me, it was a funny story. And this is one of my friends from CCA, actually, uh, it was Sandy Joy who called me going, don't ever tell this joke again. It's not funny. Um, it broke my heart. Undo this. Oh. And it, but it was over the funeral. And mm -hmm. while I'm planning mom's death and we're sitting down and we're doing funeral arrangements, I'm like, okay, mom, help me pick out a dress. And she's like, oh, not yet. I need to know what you're wearing. Like, 
nobody's going to care. And she goes, well, I don't wear one of those long skirts. that makes you look like a hobbit. Get your suitcase. I want to know what you're wearing to my funeral. And my mother picked out my funeral clothes before she picked out her own. And I'm like, why are you doing this? And she's like, because my friends are going to be there. And what are they going to think if you show up looking bad? So now granted she was dying, but that's been her whole life. What I did was reflection on her. Um, and I wound up, she picked an outfit that I used to wear on stage all the time, black pants and a red shirt, you know, cold shoulders, which I love and her red hat. Um, cause she was a red hat lady. Now I'm going to be clear. I love my mother. She worked two jobs to raise me. Um, and I was very heartbroken for her because there came a point that I knew in her life that she chose to stop healing. And I do see that a lot. Um, so again, it was my church background. It was my Al-Anon and my sponsors that helped me get through that. Uh, my dad was a different story. Um, he would have been categorized at one point as one of those dangerous narcissists. Um, very huge sense of grandiosity. Excuse me. They got divorced when I was four. Um, one of the very young memories I have of him is trashing the kitchen because it wasn't clean enough. Uh, so there was violence early on in the marriage. Um, they got divorced and I spent six months with them, I think, from the time I was six until I was 38. Mm. And by then I was had become an adult and we used to let him come visit on Christmas. Um, but we did not have a good close relationship. It was very superficial. Yeah. Um, he used to bring me up for dog and pony shows and he would do that to my sister too. The only time we saw him is when he had someone wealthy to impress. Mm. And... And this is a joke, but it's real. And a friend of mine shared this, and she's a single mom now. Mm -hmm. There is no stronger ride or die than the brand new girlfriend of a deadbeat dad who thinks mm -hmm. that the mom is keeping the kids away from him. And those were the women that he would introduce us to, to prove mm -hmm. that he was a good dad, to prove that he had a family. And then he'd wind up taking him for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I always, once I figured that out, I felt horrible. Um, so, yeah. And, but his take was he was always doing a business adventure and he'd find women willing to partner with this business adventure. Um, but the last time, well, I've, I've met the last three as an adult and one of them was a personal friend of the Reagans and she was the, oh man, I loved her. She was awesome. Um, she was like the ambassador to Brazil for the say no to drugs campaign. Yeah. And she's a psychotherapist and she's amazing. And I'm sitting there, probably my 19 year old self going, you're everything I want to be when I grow up. What are you doing with him? <laughs> and, oh, she was so mad. And that's the last time he ever smoked to me. Um, a year later, he was on to a senator's wife. Mm. And then and four years after that, it was a school teacher from Southern Cal. And that's when everything fell apart. So my dad showed up here homeless, jobless, and penniless when I was 38. Um, mm. So it was a different kind of story. Yeah. And... His other daughter chose to go full no contact. Um, I was very much in victim mode when that happened. And I mean, my mother was already declining in health. She was already mad at me for taking my dad's side. But I, I felt trapped because yeah. he now lived in my town. He now knew where I lived. And he would just randomly show up at our house. Um, so we set strict boundaries of you need to go get a job. You need to go live here. 
And it wasn't until the year my mom died and he was diagnosed with chronic leukemia. He was showing signs of dementia. He got evicted from every house he lived in. He couldn't pay his bills. Um, and he was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis that, and again, this is not something I would suggest other people do. We had the means to buy a small house for him. And we did that um, because I didn't have the heart to, it was too late in my opinion to uh, go no contact. And um, we put him in a house and I immediately contacted social services. It's, and I spent, I want to say a two solid years before I got help with that and lockdown hit and I put him in a home, which is right towards the end. We we're coming out of the whole COVID thing, but mm -hmm. I put him in assistance. So I had my church, I had my God, um, and I had social services Yeah, and I had friends to go over to the house and hey can you clean the gutters for me hey there's something wrong with the air conditioner can you look it out or or, or look at it um mm -hmm. i had neighbors who watched out for it um so i wasn't alone uh my mentor likes to tell me that martyrs aren't cute and um self-inflicted martyrs are not cute i think that was her phrase no <laughs> and so you know there was none of that mm -hmm. i mean we rallied the troops and did I do it perfect? No. Did we have our fights? Yes. Mm, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And one of the things, it was, we had some real conversations that were hard and painful for, for both of us. Because he wanted to know why my sister wasn't there. And I probably handled it wrong, but I was brutally honest. And I literally said, because you were a horrible father. Yeah. And the only reason I'm here is because I don't feel like I have a choice. And was that the right thing to say? I don't know. Was it the truth of how I felt? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, once we got him someplace safe, uh, he, he didn't pass away from COVID, but he was only there about six months, got pneumonia. Um, and so what I do remember is getting the call to go to intensive care and he was unconscious. Uh, my dad never regained consciousness with me while he was there or while I was there, I, I did bring him out once and he went right back under before I could get there. But, you know, sitting there, um, I played Frank Sinatra for him. Um, the gift that came out of all that is dad had joined a church, he went back to Rome, went back to the Catholic church and um, found a piece that he hadn't, I'd never seen in my life. Wonderful. Which was wonderful. And so, and I had a piece about being there. Yeah. Um, but I played for all that. And we were talking about taking him off life support. He'd been on life support for about a week. They tried to take him off twice. It didn't work. And so we were making hard decisions and I was his healthcare proxy. Um, at one, my dad rallied and they talk about this. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden he just lit up and he's like tubes everywhere, IVs everywhere. And he sat straight up in bed and started tugging at his clothes and started doing his hair and I'm getting in his face like, Hey daddy, it's me. Hey daddy. It's me. Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> he did not see me. He did not see my husband. His eyes lit up straight to the back of the room really? and he was in and he was giggling and he was laughing and it clicked. He saw Jesus. Wow. Um, and then boom, he was out. He went straight back out and we had been praying, like, they want me to take him off life support. I'm going to kill my dad. And I was equipped for that. That's where I was mentally. And so we'd That's been praying. hard, right? It's hard. It's a horrible decision. Even, if, especially if you've got a good relationship, much less a bad one. It's a horrible. Right. No one wants that. 
And I viewed that kind of as an answer to a prayer. Yeah. You know, what had happened, what he did, what we got to witness. So yeah. for me, we were given peace. We were able to take him off life support. Um, they took him upstairs to hospice. Uh, St. John's Utica Square, the best. Oh my gosh, we have to live really? through something like that. That's, their staff was amazing. They immediately sent a counselor to me. They immediately, because I spent the first night there, I felt so guilty. Oh, I'm I sure. Was, I wouldn't leave his side. I wouldn't leave his room. Um, and they told me to go home. Yeah. Um, they said I was welcome to stay there, but go home. And, you know, that was a blessing. So in the end, my dad found his own peace with God. He found his own peace with his life choices. Um, he came from a very broken childhood as well. There was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, uh, definitely a lot of grandiosity. I mean, he had dinner with the Reagans, you know, my dad ran with some really influential people mm -hmm. at the expense of his daughters. Um, because when he came of age, he had two daughters who he wanted nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we found peace in it. Jeff and I are all about making the right choice. This isn't the right choice for, for a lot of people. Um, my sister made the right choice to go no contact. I, she did. That was absolutely the right choice for her because he would have taken advantage of her too. And, uh, Anyway, but that's that story. That's that whole. It helps to have story. a partner who yes. can keep you grounded when you're dealing with people who would otherwise take advantage of you. Right. Um, you need that partner who's willing to say no, absolutely not. Who's willing to, you know, be there when you're venting or crying and that just that other person to keep you from being sucked into the abyss with. Um, someone who would just drain your life from you. And I will say the same God who raised people from the dead before there was ever life support is still mm -hmm. capable of doing that if he wants to. So right. um, I can imagine, I know, I know how hard that is, but it is not, um, I don't think it should ever be a guilt, uh, a source of guilt, because if we believe that when we die, we're going to see him, and if we believe that he could heal us right now, if he had stuff for us to do, then it, it's okay. That, that's a decision we make carefully. We make thoughtfully and prayerfully, but it's not a sort um, to let the devil just constantly beat us up, right? Oh, exactly. And I was in a position where he trusted me to make the right choice. Good. And it's important that we have those and to remember and be reminded they trusted us because it, aging does get harder um, with parents. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, healthcare proxies usually fall on the kids. Yeah. And knowing that we had those conversations while they were still lucid um, is really, really important. And to not exactly, the devil's going to come in going, hey, you killed your dad. And um, no, that's not true. I honored yeah. his wishes. That's right. And that, that hospital came in really good because he had a DNR during COVID. And it was an immediate DNR if he got COVID. He did not, mm -hmm. he was 84 years old with lung disease and all that. He didn't want to go through that. Don't right. say him. Um, this was post COVID, post all of that. Um, but I still worked with the social workers and with the doctors going, you know, help me honor his living will. And so Yay. we had that other person. And it helped that my husband was supportive of, hey, your dad's here. I get this is a really weird, awkward situation. But we went day by day and prayer by prayer of what were the right and healthy choices for him. And there was a lot of at a distance. Yeah. Uh, 
because there was, he was, he lived here for almost, you know, 20 years and half the time I didn't know where he lived. So I just knew he could show up at my house anytime. Um, but I never had an address. And so I would only hear from him when he needed something Yeah. I, until the very end, until we discovered that he couldn't take care of himself. And so I think by then we developed enough of a, a team mm-hmm. that we were, we were making the right decisions. So was, you know, my sister's decision better than mine. I think they had equal, she did what was right. I did what was right or what we felt led to do. Each of Um, us has an awareness of how much we can take. And hopefully we have people who can help guard us, right? My husband's a really good guard for me because sometimes I think I can take more than I can or more than I should. So um, we each have to make our own decision in that. There's no... uh, you're right. There's there's right for each person on a different level. Okay. So glad that you know that. I'm so glad that you you didn't make yourself, you know, so vulnerable. Oh, here, Dad, we have an extra bedroom, or you know what I mean. That you that you found a way to stay whole and keep your healing. Um, and I know it was a struggle. It was it was a challenge. And it can be, and and that's where I go, especially when you talk about, um, do I take that on stage in my shows? Absolutely not. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to just, on the audience, um, they're not my therapist. Right. So finding ways, now there were some things about dementia I did poke fun at, um, just more for humor that, that worked. Uh, but no, not sharing the nitty gritty. And there's a, I know a lot of comedians that are in an incredible amount of pain. Um, you have to look through what they don't talk about, what they don't mention. I do think everybody's story is important and Christy. So I love what you're doing here um, because, and I'm kind of, my mind just went blank on it, but we are, we are, we are healed or we are saved by his blood and the word of our testimony. Um, I am one of those, even though I'm a Bible teacher that I can go, it's in there somewhere. I can't remember. <laughs> the numbers, but I, I can never so remember the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Bible gateway, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think we heal. That's what I love the women's events for, um, because we do share experience, strength, and hope. Is what I call it, or the hope and the hurt and the healing, um, which my mentor calls it. And there is hope in Jesus, and there is hope. It's not all Jesus, and you know, it took me about twenty years to realize um, that I had some healing I needed to do. You know, I'd had an unfortunate experience in a church, which I shared in a different talk. Somebody didn't like me, didn't think I belonged, and then called and asked me to clean out his coffee cup, which made me really mad, or asked me to turn it off because mm-hmm. it was, and I had to choose between um, get, staying in hurt feelings or letting the church burn down. And it was not Life Park, it was a different church. And I go and I see the coffee's full, and I started arguing with the Holy Spirit. Um, I see it's full, and I'm like, eh, whatever. And I go to walk out and there's this check in my spirit saying, no, empty it. Um, and I didn't want to. Well, you and didn't pee in it. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my first thought. You know, um, but I argued with the Holy Spirit and I'd heard a, a speaker, someone at some point say, if anyone has a right to be angry, it's you. But humility will get you further. Yeah. And I was still processing that. So I wound up, you know, dumping the cup out and then I noticed it's all shiny and white on the outside and it's filthy on the inside. It was all stained and nasty. 
And um, I was angry enough that the first scripture that popped into my mind were the seven woes. <laughs> woes to the Pharisees. Right. And um, I'm arguing with God in the kitchen and in my head. So I don't want people hearing me because it was ugly. I mean, the Holy Spirit was starting to leave the room, you know, but he was just, you know, on to me. And, you know, the seven woes that said, look, at outside is horrible. The inside is full of dead men's bones. That's what's wrong with you. And I'm arguing with God while I'm scrubbing it out. And I go and I place it back in his desk. And I'm so excited that I finally have a word from God for this man. He's full of dead men's bones. He's a Pharisee. The woes to him. And all I felt in my spirit was, no, that's you. Oh. You're along with Indians of the people. And you're carrying with you the bones of dead men and dead women who defined you in the past. Are you going to let me heal you? And oh my gosh. That. Okay. So we have to repeat that. Um, what I felt in my spirit is that was me, the dead men's bones, where I was shiny on the outside. And I was, I had manicured nails, perfect hair. It wasn't this white frizzy stuff. Um, every, I, I dressed to the nines. And yet my cup was full of the bones of dead men. Um, people who told me I couldn't join the church. People who called me names. People were upset about how I was born. Um, and what I felt in my spirit when I put that cup down was, are you going to let me heal you? Oh, Dina. And that was the beginning of my journey. That's when I met some of the comics that I know now. Um, I had a gal grab a hold of me with everything she had. I'd accidentally signed up for her newsletter and I got called going, hey, I'm going to be in town. Will you help promote? No, I quit ministry. She's like, mm. um, just help me with this one. And so that's actually how I got started was over getting my feelings hurt and God asking, um, are you going to let me heal you? Wow. And I think there's a lot of, yeah. So God in that regard is just very amazing, but it does take, well, as Brene Brown says, learning to be self-aware, learning to listen. But in my story, once I got in the church, it, it's been a, just a process yeah. and it shocked me that he asked permission. Mm. I love that. Okay. I just, I just love that, that turning point um, yes, because yeah. we do, we carry the bones of people who've hurt us, you know, and, and the, and we can let God heal us. We can let God heal us. And I want to say, um, in, when dealing with any difficult relationship, any difficult relationship, narcissistic, bipolar, um, you know, border, what do they call borderline now? Uh, hypersensitive something oh. or other. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a human that God loves, mm -hmm. that Jesus gave his life for. Um, but, and, and, and so we see them with compassion, right? And we, we, we want to see people through God, through Jesus eyes. And we have to ask for help with that because that is not natural. Um, you know, my right. first response was, well, you didn't pee in the cup, right? You know, so I'm just like, you know, we have to, we have to fight our flesh and go, Lord, help me see this person through your eyes. But the other thing we have to see is that God is present. We don't have mm -hmm. to be God for them. We cannot fix people. Um, and that's been a really, really hard, probably lifelong lesson for me. I'm sure I'll, I'll have to keep learning it over and over again. But 
we aren't God. God is already working by giving someone a Judy Bloom book because their mom doesn't believe in God, so would never give her a Christian book, right? Um, God is already, uh, already paving the way and and reaching out to this person in by whatever means are available. And what we have to do is turn our hearts up so that God can pour into them, so that he can heal them, uh, you know, our hearts. Because this heart right here is the only one that I can choose to change. This exactly. mind right here is the only one that I can say, you know what? God has given me the mind of Christ and I'm going to trade this this broken thing in for the mind of Christ. And I'm going to rewire um, my responses with ugh, so much practice. Um, you know, those things that take work and feel so hard sometimes that we choose to stop healing. Um, but we can we can choose to keep healing. We can choose to keep letting God um, touch us. And then in those moments, we're a different person washing this cup, even though we're we're mad and we're building a sermon in our head, we're scrubbing out the cup, you know, um, and then we're listening to God who says, hey, I have a healing for you. Take it. And that's that's a wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about that. And I love where this conversation is going. I want to I want to bring you back again and again. <laughs> Yay! So Dina O'Hara is who you've been listening to today, and um, she can be reached. There's, uh, I'm going to post a couple of links in the comments, but Dina can be reached at, let's see, Facebook, Dina O'Hara Comedy, um, Instagram, Dina O'Hara, and it's D-E-A-N-A. O-H-A-R-A. So it looks like Deanna, which is what I accidentally called her several times before she corrected me. Um, D-E-A-N-A-O-H-A-R-A. -A um, and she also has a website that's currently under reconstruction, but I'll post a link in there as well. Dina, God bless you abundantly for all that you've done. And, and I just so enjoy you. You have a wonderful day. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share before we go? Um, I think I've talked your ear off quite a bit. So. Nope, they're still attached. <laughs> oh, it's been one, this has been wonderful. Thank you. And uh, yeah, just for having me and Absolutely. asking to share my story. It's most people know, you know, tell me the jokes and they want, you know, I'm learning how to not sit and entertain and just sit and be me. So um, thank you for willing to being willing to go deep and uh, for your questions and all that. Thank you for being willing to be so transparent that it it is hard. I want just everybody to recognize it is hard to know what to share because you don't want to disrespect people. You don't want to hurt people. But if we don't share honestly, then nobody gets healed. Right. There is somebody out there who goes, oh, my gosh, that's how I feel, um, you know, and, and they don't they, they don't get that chance if we just do the entertainment part. So I appreciate you being so open. It's been wonderful. God bless you. I'll see everybody next time. Bye.
Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and join me for two-minute daily devotionals Monday through Friday at onemomentwiser.com. That's the digit one, momentwiser.com or on social media at One Moment Wiser. If you have a story you'd like to share, I would love to hear it. Just use the contact page at onemomentwiser.com. God bless you. Thank you.